to episode two of the Zero Stars podcast, a podcast about video games and the blues. My name is Bob. And I'm Matt. And we're going to talk about games. All right. So, Why not the blues? Uh, we're going to get to that later. Okay. We'll see if, we'll see if this takes a turn. <laughs> um, for our second inaugural podcast, this is inaugural series. The I'd one say. that started it all. <laughs> Um, I think we should start with a news hour. Oh, I think so. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, let's hop in. All right. This is a deep, hard-hitting look at a single thing from the past week. For a front line, if you will. A front line. There was, oh, man, hard copy. Mm. I was trying to remember the name of hard copy for, like, the longest time. Dude, I, I have never... The only time I ever saw hard copy was like in a pizzeria in Cincinnati on the TV. <laughs> I know what you mean. I have this like strong memory of like it being on the TV in a background at this like rented condo that we got <laughs> by the beach as a child. That's perfect. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, like I can see the like hard copy like logo bumper, yeah. but I have no idea what the fuck hard copy is. <laughs> Even at that age, like it's just like a twenty twenty, right? My mom, or if I recall, it was like, what is hard copy? And she implied that it was like a sleazy 60 minutes. Okay, that makes sense. Well, this will also be a sleazy 60 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> but that, man, hard copy is a dumb name for anything. Oh, it's so good. And yet I really like it. Yeah, I think um, it's a great name. I, somebody should make a video game called hard copy. Hard copy. <laughs> All right, so for our news hour this week, we are going to talk about the SNES Classic, which was just announced on Thursday, or was it Wednesday? I want to say Wednesday of this past week. Yeah, kind of kind of came out of nowhere. I was I was you know doing my internet thing and happened upon like eight thousand sudden like news. It kind of like you know everybody says that those Kim Kardashian photos broke the internet. <laughs> But in my circles, uh, a tiny SNES that you can put under your TV is the equivalent of a naked Kim Kardashian, <laughs> because uh, this thing was all anybody was talking about, both in my workspace and on the web, for about 24 hours there, I feel like. Yeah, I mean, that's, I wish my workspace were talking about this. <laughs> um, it's, so it's interesting, because, like, so, obviously the NES Classic was... A huge bomb, <laughs> but like no, just sold out almost immediately. Yeah, they like said that they were ceasing production, and everyone was predicting that this was coming. But I don't know whether any of us really can. Like, do we know how many they're going to be making? Do we know is this no. going to like? Are they just going to produce and then? Well, so number one, we don't know how many they're making, and number two, from some manufacturing perspective, this isn't actually more difficult thing. Well, I guess not, because they made two versions of the uh, NES Classic, because they had the Famicom one for Japan, yeah, and they had the NES one for America, and they're doing that again, so you can get... They're doing three. Isn't there a European one, too? Uh, The Europe PAL one, I think they have different games, but the Europe PAL one and the Japan one would have the same body. Oh, Because they both look like a Super Famicom, and as somebody who also owns a Super Famicom, uh, I really want... That Super Famicom one. Yeah. So... The, the button. Oh. Those colors. They're so good. I mean, just the, the, the whole so design. Primer. That con- that whole console just looks great. Um, so, I'm probably going to try and get two of these. All right. 
Maybe. I don't know. That might be a little much. Why Why too? Because they have different games. Oh, you mean you want the Famicom and the SNES? I want the Famicom the SNES. and the SNES. Huh. Well, how are you going to... Can you import a Famicom? Yes. And it'll run fine, obviously, because it's just a matter of... Well, I mean, you might need to get an adapter, right? If it's if it's a build for... Um, if it's like the Japanese one, Japan... It's like my, my actual Super Famicom... Yeah. You can just plug them in. There's oh, like okay. a slight difference in our electricity, but it's not so great that the thing can't just take it. Okay. Let's hope. Uh, so, yeah. Hopefully, I will end up with... Well, I don't know. That, that seems a little aggressive, but I, I want to get at least one of these. The most interesting thing about this to me, uh, as compared to the NES Classic, um, is that it comes with um, the... Two controllers, whereas the NES Classic only came with one. Yeah, I mean, that's obviously a huge selling point, uh, because... Well, you could buy a second one for the NES Classic, right? Yeah, but it was a separate thing, and so I I don't think they announced the price of this, and I'll be interested... I think, no, 79. Is it really? I think it's 79, yeah. That is a Which is, and how many games is it? It's 20 plus 1. 20 plus 1, oh, plus Star Fox 2? Yeah. Um, and you do not unlock Star Fox 2 until you've beaten the first level, I guess, of Star Fox. Really? Yeah. That's awesome. I didn't realize that. <laughs> Which is <laughs> such a, like, charming non-gate, right? Like, it's just, like, a little fun thing. Just have what... Have I what really wish they hadn't even announced it. And just, just like, it was hidden? How awesome would it be if these things had gotten into people's hands and they started playing Star Fox 1 and then it said that they got this game that nobody has ever gotten to play? So... There's some real bangers on this, yes. as I recall. These are real bangers. Like, yes. I mean, obviously you have Link to the Past, um, Super Mario World, Super Metroid? Does it come with Super Metroid? Shit. Super Metroid, yeah. And Donkey Kong Country. I think Donkey Which Kong is... Country is not very good. Does it come with only one Donkey Kong Country? It's just the one Donkey Kong Country, yeah. Okay. Uh, That's good, because I wouldn't want more than one of those games taking, taking up space. Taking That is... I do remember seeing Donkey Kong Country for the very first time at, like, my cousin's house. You're like, ah, what a muddy thing this is. I thought it I thought it looked amazing. Really? But, I mean, I I was a child. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's, this, there's an interesting conversation, I think, to be had just generally about... Um, kind of learning to actually appreciate games, which certainly took me a very long time. Like, there's a reason that I kept going back to play Mario Brothers over and over and over again. It's because it's good. But I played a lot of shitty games as a kid. So did I. Oh, definitely. And I loved a lot of shitty games as a kid. Yeah, and I still like some games that I would say are, are not actually good. My issues with Donkey Kong Country... I don't know. And I feel like this is kind of my issue with a lot of rare games. Like, Banjo... Uh, which is that it's like Nintendo would make a game like uh, Nintendo makes a side-scrolling platformer. It's very good. And then like if you think about the time that Donkey Kong Country was happening, it was like after uh, Yoshi's Island. And if you are going to sit here and tell me <laughs> that like in the world of side-scrollers, one of like that Donkey Kong Country even remotely compares. <laughs> To Yoshi's Island. Yoshi's Island was Super Mario World 2 Yoshi's Island, right? Uh, in Japan, I think it was called that. I think it, I think it might have just been called Yoshi's Island over here. Okay. Or I might be making that up. But uh, either way. I also, I think that you might be wrong in those dates. I think that those were probably being developed concurrently. Because I think Yoshi's Island came out after, because that had the Super FX chip in it. Yeah. 
And they, I think that was like one of the first games. It was like that and Star Fox were using the Super FX chip. I believe that is true. So, but in any case, Mario World had been made. Yes. And then someone was like, "These cartoony graphics." Yes. These these are these will not age well. <laughs> I'm going to make this like terrible clay fighter looking, 3D <laughs> model scanned nonsense. Yeah. No, that's it. Was not a good, a terribly great feeling game. Yeah. Um, I just never enjoyed those games. I am really curious to go back to the original Mario Kart. Um, I played a fair amount of that. Like, I mean, I think college is like the ideal environment for any Mario Kart. Uh, and uh, my roommate was very into Super Nintendo Mario Kart. Were you playing it on a Super Nintendo? Uh, we were not. We had an emulated version. Yeah, but okay. So you weren't playing with the actual original controllers? No, we had some game pads. Okay. Um, but I mean, clearly, the selling point, to a degree, is of, like, the SNES Classic is that you get the original controller, or an approximation of it, made by Nintendo. It, that is totally And that's what it. I am curious, like, what it feels like to go I, back and play games on that, but I especially Mario Kart. Because does that have drifting? Uh, I believe it does. I think it does. I honestly don't really remember. Yeah, my memory... Mario Kart's one of those weird things where, like, in my head, they all sort of look the same. So every iteration of Mario Kart is, like, the latest iteration. Yes. Because, which is true, because clearly they're just, like, improving everything and nothing else yes, changes. Mario Kart is, like, the iPhone of video games. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it's always the same thing. It looks kind of different. But it works basically the same. And so, like, but like, you're, you're, it immediately replaces your memory of the prior <laughs> yes. edition. Because um, I went back and was playing Mario Kart 64 not too long ago, and I just kept thinking, like, this looks real flat. This is strange. <laughs> Why isn't there more like verticality in this? Right. And it's clearly it's because like it's it's the same game, but not at all. Um, so yeah. I would I would love to go back to the very very beginning and kind of like see how strange that is. Yeah. Like, how surreal that is. Also, I would like to go back and actually play Super Metroid all the way through. Uh, as somebody who has purchased Super Metroid on the Virtual Console multiple times and actually <laughs> played it all the way through relatively recently, Super Metroid is, like, the secret weapon um, that I feel like doesn't get talked about enough. Just because Metroid Prime... Metroid Prime, at the time, I feel like, was actually a lot of people's real introduction to Metroid. Like, I feel like... Uh, Super Smash Brothers kind of brought more people into the fold because they were like, Samus is a cool robot person. And, like, you didn't know about that person before if you'd been, like, a Sega fan or something like that. Yeah. Like, Metroid was kind of a more limited uh, fan base, I think, than a lot of the other Nintendo properties. And then, so I think Metroid Prime was kind of where a lot of people got in. But Super Metroid is just, like... A masterful thing. It's interesting that the N64 went without a Metroid game. There's weird concept, uh, there's like weird images out there of a very early in progress, like third person behind the back Metroid game on N64. So, what was the concurrent with N64? What was the concurrent handheld? It was the Game Boy Color and then. Did the Game Boy Advance come out? The. I, the, the N64's lifespan? The Game Boy Advance would have been very close to, to the, the GameCube because there was all of that stuff with connectivity for it. Yeah, I remember that. Um, um, I remember having Final Fantasy Crystal Chronicles. Did you own borrowing, that? I own that, and I borrowed my sister's <sighs> Game Boy Advance. Man, that game 
is not good. <laughs> but it was it was a garbage game, but I bought things with Final Fantasy in the title, so yeah. Um, there was a there was that Pac Man versus game that was essentially the Wii U before the Wii U. Oh. Where you could have your three friends be the ghosts on their Game Boys, and then you would be Pac Man on the TV. They have been interested in a like is it asymmetrical gameplay yeah. for for so long, and have yet have never really done anything of substance with it. Well, it's, that was what was so great about like when you got your Wii U and you got Nintendo Land, and the best thing in it was Mario Chase, which was <laughs> exactly Pac Man versus <laughs> like yeah. exactly the same game, except that there's a camera that points at the Pac-Man person's face, so you can see them responding, which is a delight. <laughs> it seems in many ways like the reason to buy a Wii U was so that you could dream up all the potential asymmetrical games that would never come out for it. Uh, I would actually argue that Nintendo dreamed them all up, they were in Nintendo land, and then you played them and said, yeah, I don't know about this. <laughs> uh, yeah. A conclusion yeah. that I feel like Nintendo probably should have come to in the prototype stage. <laughs> Um, okay, so moving through some of the other games, uh, Super Metroid, uh, Super Mario, Legend of the Seven Stars, Super Mario RPG, Legend of the Seven Stars. I know you were a fan. Uh, that was a favorite of mine. That was the first, I think, that was, that was probably the first RPG I ever played. Yeah. Um, I mean, it had a, a pretty strong impact on me as a, as a little kid, uh, Damn, did I think that was hard, though. I found it so difficult. I've never played that game. It's, I mean, I talk about potentially muddy graphics. I was going to say, that has the same sort of look. Yeah, it does, although it's it's isometric, so yeah. I think it comes off a little bit better Yeah, in its own way. Uh, it's charming, though. It is extraordinarily charming, and it really builds, like, a weird mythology. Hmm. Like, in its introduction of completely random characters, like this talking puppet... And, like, a uh, marshmallow cloud friend of yours. Both of those things sound terrific. Yeah, there's a Power Rangers parody. Like, it is a, it's an interesting game. It is definitely... I actually would love to read, like, a kind of, like, behind-the-scenes on how that was made. Hmm. But I'm curious about that. Of course, the real thing that I would purchase this for is Earthbound. Yeah, so... The Earthbound is on this. Yes. Okay. It is confirmed. That's, just, just Mother 2, that's aka great. Earthbound. Yes. Uh, I heard that they released Mother 1 for the Wii U, but I never... They I did. I own a Wii U. I never got around to that. Uh, I believe that they did. Yeah. I'm pretty sure. But yeah, I mean, I would play Earthbound again pretty much at any time. My ideal is that someone puts Earthbound out on the Switch. Yeah. Uh, no, check that. My ideal is that someone puts Mother but, 3 yes. out on the and Switch. And that someone is Nintendo. Yeah. Which, you know, it's funny to think about because, like, that always seemed like something that wouldn't happen to me because Nintendo wouldn't want to, like, have some programmer and be like, like, now your job is to go work on this old code base and fix up Mother 3 for modern release. And they would be like, oh, come on. And yet, they literally just did that with Star Fox 2. So, yeah. like... And I just love the idea that you come into work one day, and they're just like, now you have to go figure out how to, like, reverse engineer that uh, SNES game that never came out and polish it up for release. <laughs> like, that's a crazy task. I mean, but, like... Okay, so this is... I'm going to reveal my lack of understanding about, like, de- game development. But, like, how complicated 
so you have you have to you have to hire some programmers to reverse engineer the game from the GBA, the Game Boy Advance, to whatever from other three years. From other three, you have to hire translate a translation and localization team. But this can't be more than a year's worth of work. No, so you are not putting that much money into this, and you're going to reap. I think the time is right for a Mother 3 thing. Like, I think that... Clearly. Yeah. It's it's especially now. I think especially now, Nintendo has, like, the the goodwill where they have enough people who would be, like, interested in it, I think. I I think we'd probably be surprised by how few copies it would sell in total if we actually saw the numbers. But at the same time, I'll bet you that there's a way that those numbers can work out for Nintendo. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm sure that they would, that it would not be, it's not going to sell like, like most Nintendo games, but like if it's a year's salary for like some, like two programmers and a localization team and then like marketing, they've got to be able to make that back. You hope so. And plus goodwill, like Nintendo's on a goodwill kick. They need to, yeah. Nintendo has really been doing a good job. So, I think it could happen. I'm extremely excited for this NES Classic. Yeah, I am too. I'm, I'm pretty stoked. <laughs> it's even making me use words like stoked. <laughs> yeah, it's bringing you back <laughs> to the 90s. <laughs> it's back to my, my high school days. Yeah. Um, I wasn't in high school in the 90s. That's disturbing to think about. But yeah. It was 2001. Wow. Um, in any case, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. We've got a little while to wait. It's not, we're not even sure, certain we're going to be able to. I was going to say, it seems more likely than yeah. not that we will have, like, it'll just be a trail of tears and we'll just that be on this said, weekly just trying to get one. We met, we both managed to get a Switch during, we did, during like the busiest time for the Switch. Uh, our, uh, fr- our friend Rob continues to not be able to get a Switch. Continues he to send me messages about this. I think that he just needs to like wake up three hours too early to go wait in the cold <laughs> outside of like a local shop and buy up their entire stock. But yeah, that's just me. <laughs> Speaking of the Switch, let's talk about what we're playing right now. Oh, I think been that we're some games. I've, I've been playing a few games. Oh, that sounds great. Yeah. Um, I've been continuing my adventures in Neo. Um, man, that game... I hit a wall the other day where I was playing Neo and I um, I just sucked all of a sudden. I was just like... I was just really bad. I was really bad. I just started calling like everyone a motherfucker in the game. <laughs> I'd be like, you motherfucker, every time I died. To, until like I started just like calling the game a motherfucker. Like and like not not ironically, just like at, in actual anger. Yes. And I realized like I need to just put this down, <laughs> put it aside and start Zelda's hard mode. Yeah that, that'll just take that edge off. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, actually primarily what I have been playing is The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. Uh, it's called the, I think it's called Master Mode? I think it is. I, I think it's like meant to be some sort of callback to Master Quest from uh, oh. the N64. Um, oh, okay. Ocarina. Wait, what was Master Quest? For the, did it just add quests or was so, it harder? Master Quest, um, which I have a copy of. They released it. If you reserved a copy of Wind Waker, you got a copy of Ocarina of Time for the GameCube that came along with Master Quest, uh, which was originally designed for the N64 like disc drive oh, and then yeah. never came out. Um, it also is part of the 3DS re-release of Ocarina. Does it? Uh, and it's... It's like 
a more difficult version of the game. It really applies to the puzzles. Like, all the dungeons are kind of redesigned in weird ways. What it kind of feels like a lot of the time is sort of like they made a couple passes at, like, what will this dungeon be? And then they picked the best one for the game. And then they're like, well, here's another one that we made that was just like we tested it and people couldn't really figure it out. And they just used all of the slightly harder ones that people couldn't figure out for Master Quest. Okay. Is it fun? I would not... It would... It would not be a great core version of Ocarina of Time. Like, I think that the existing Ocarina of Time is a better game. Yeah. But it's kind of neat to be able to play a game that you're very familiar with and then have everything moved around. This is very different. So Breath of the Wild Master Mode is... Very, and I'm just going to call it hard mode because That's fine with me. I don't like the alliteration of master mode. Um, hard mode is, is is very different from that insofar as that I have not encountered a single puzzle that's been different. Uh, I've played through the plateau, through those opening ones, and I've gotten two other shrines. Outside the, of the plateau. Outside of the plateau. Um, the primary difference is, as has been documented pretty well, is that they just bump every single enemy up a level. Mm-hmm. So, like, I... Walk out of my cave, talk to the old man, grab like a stick, go and engage with the like first little bokoblin or whatever, yeah. boko goblin. Yeah. You know, those creatures. Those guys. And it's a blue. Yeah. And he first of all, like, it's not hard to dodge these guys, but hitting him with a stick <laughs> I did absolutely no damage. Oh, that's um, great. And their health regenerates. And their health regenerates very quickly. That is awesome. It is active. So I just... I died. He just wrecked you? He just wrecked me. It, it takes two hits, and you're gone. Oh, my um, It's just... This is one guy. One just, guy. Wow. It's the very first guy. You know, you're walking down yeah, that you hill. Yeah, you like, over a crest. And you kind of, like... You just... There. Yeah, and you just kind of hear him before you see yep, him. Yep. Um, so... My uh, my opening, I spent quite a few hours just trying to like, like build up some sort of like arsenal. Did you, did you call him a motherfucker? I didn't. No, <laughs> I was just like, okay, I see what's going on here. So I um, it changes the pace of that opening section and changes like the approach significantly, like. It is, and I've made this comment before in other places about um, one of my favorite parts of The Legend of Zelda, which is Eventide Island, yes. which is the island where you're stripped of all of your, your items. And when you are put in that situation, it is no longer, it no longer behooves you to get into combat. Like the, the usual, like, oh, it's Zelda. You're going to solve a puzzle. You're going to do some combat. You're going to explore. It says, like, no, you probably don't want to get into, into the combat at all. Combat is like... You, the last option you want to choose. Right. You want to you pacifist run this if you can. That is now the opening few hours. Very interesting. Or even more. Because, like, it's, like, all of a sudden, like, combat becomes, like, a zero-sum game. You are not... You are going to lose your good items. Like, the, the that rusty broadsword that, like, <laughs> is going to break before you can kill the guy. So your goal is to... Once you get them down to about half-life, if you knock them away, they drop their weapon. Something that I never even noticed in the original game. Oh, yeah. Game. Well, and if you... On the Moblins, if yeah, you, like, moblins. sweep their legs, you can get them to drop their weapon. Oh, okay. So if you use a heavy thing... Yeah. And then and you just, do, like, a horizontal move, so you, like, hit them, and then you just sweep swing. their legs out, and they'll yeah. fall, and they'll drop. So 
the uh, in this case, like I am trying to actively get these, so I have to like strategize. Like, will my my sword last long enough for me to knock the club out of his hand so I can grab the club and finish him off? Oh, and man. at the end of it, I've lost my sword and I've got like a badly damaged club. So yeah, it is never in your interest to be in, in, engaging, and that is very interesting. It is very interesting. <laughs> Here's the issue. Um, I like I said, I got off the plateau. I probably played a total of maybe about four hours uh-huh. of of hard mode, which also means that I played four hours of the Legend of Zelda yesterday. Um, That's great. Which is yeah, it's the ideal. Uh, so I I put I played about two hours of Zelda yesterday. <laughs> well, we got to keep up. We got to yeah. You yeah. you'll I, catch up. I know eventually. That, that this is honestly why you have finished this game and I have not. Also, yeah, I think that there there are other reasons, but we can talk about those some other time. Yeah. Um, the issue, though, is that it doesn't quite scale, mm. in my experience, um, because once you start getting better weapons, you and once you learn them. the rhythms, you can wreck them when you need to, and the game, like, ceases to be nearly as difficult and as challenging. I can already tell, like, like, I was, I was dying constantly and having to rethink my strategies, all the time. I had to plan everything ahead of time during, like, the first hour. By the time I left the plateau, I hadn't died in, like, the past two hours. Um. So, it's, you know, if you were to chart this, to graph this, it's already, I'm already, like, and again, it's still going to be a challenge. It's still The Legend of Zelda. It's still a ton of fun. And it still feels dangerous to be in that world, but it is not scaling properly. Well, it's sort um, of interesting, though. And that game it, always... I'm sorry, I didn't interrupt you, but that game has always had balance problems, which is one of my only my only issues with it. And it's not a major issue, because, yeah. like, an open-world game like that, you're always going to have balance problems. But, like, if I... It, you know, like, if I'm to follow, like, the linear path, then I am going to be overpowered, even in this hard mode. Well, there's sort of a funny thing about it. So, I would assume, on some level, that... It's almost like you are increasing the difficulty of something, but that thing that's more difficult now can very often be avoided. So it's yeah. like actually kind of weird because it's like if you try to play it like you were playing Zelda, it will punish you. Yes. So but if you change yeah. the way you play, suddenly a lot of the like hard mode kind of goes away because now it's just like, oh, now I don't play it the way that, like, because the way I play that game right now, if I see, like, a little outpost or something, You're gonna take I'm, it. I'm, I'm, like, rubbing my hands, I'm very excited, I'm gonna go get the chest and kill the things. But if combat becomes just consistently problematic for me, I'm going to be hesitant to do that, and then the increased difficulty actually doesn't, mean, like, mean anything, because yeah. I'm not engaging. Because you're it. not engaging. And it'd be one thing if there was a reward for the risk, Mm -hmm. but because of the weapon durability, which overall I'm a huge fan of weapon durability. Yeah, I think it's great. I think it's great. But because of the weapon durability, I clear a camp of of moblins and goblins and bokoblins or whatever they are, and I'm going to get that, like, one chest that unlocks when you clear the camp. I have probably wasted, like, my three best weapons in clearing the camp. Right. And so I get one thing that might be better than those three, or it might not be, depending on where the camp is. Um, And that risk-reward isn't worth it, which is why, like, comparisons to Dark Souls 
are super faulty, especially in this mode. Because in Dark Souls, you advance by killing dudes. That's how you level up. In Zelda, you level up by completing puzzles. Yeah. It's really... I think a lot about it, because, like, I... I understand where you're coming from when you say that the game has balance problems, because, yeah. like, you do become very powerful, and a lot of the enemies kind of cease being uh, a hindrance to you. But at the same time, um, I still find it really enjoyable to fight them, and it's not yeah. like I'm, like, doing it to advance or get better. I'm just doing it because it's fun, and their AI is weird, and you can kind of mess around with them and do strange things, and... And it's funny if, like, that part of the game, I feel like kind of implicit in the way that game is designed is that combat's not ultra hard, right? And so it's, like, weird that that's the part that's, like, getting cranked up here because I don't know that I actually want it to be ultra hard because the way that it rewards you is not based around the combat. Yeah, the way that the game rewards you is literally just by being fun. Yes. And, I mean, talk about, like, classic Nintendo. It's like, we're not going to give you trophies, we're just going to make you want to actually engage in this. Yes. And that remains true. Like, it is still... My main reason for going after an outpost right now would be because, like, it's fun to go after an outpost. Yes. But... And so, like... And so, in that regard, the game succeeds... But if the conceit of hard mode is is anything other than, like, by making it harder, we're hoping that you'll have more fun with the combat, then I think it fails. If that's the only conceit, then that's cool. But, like, right now, like, and also the line between fun and frustration is maybe... A little blurred. A little blurred with that. Like, I was never calling it a motherfucker like I was with Neo. <laughs> um, and... You still need to be concentrating. The game really rewards using your environment to your advantage. I did a lot of fun stuff, like, where I was just like, that was cool. Yeah. Um, you know, I had this one moment where I was, like, dropping down from my, uh, like, in slow-mo from, from the glider with an arrow, and I had this, like, goblin like, coming at me, like, oh. leaping at me, and we were, like, meeting in midair, and I just nailed him right in the face. Um, and then I got hit by another one. So it actually, you know how it freezes when you die, oh, yeah. everything else freezes. Like, and it's, so he was being knocked back. Oh, and like, great. So it was just like, it was, oh man, it was like the tableau of it was just gorgeous. And so it's still, it is still such a fun game. Like I want to be playing it right now still. Yes. But just talking about it right now, yeah. I'm upset that we are not playing it. I, I know. It is, it is like we, you, anybody listening to this podcast, just go play breath of the wild. <laughs> just like turn this way. off. We might be here when you come back. Who knows? Who, knows? <laughs> Who really cares? You're playing Zelda. Yeah. Like all you need is Zelda. And <laughs> it is just like from a, but like from a larger sort of like, I don't even know what to call it. Like, because I'm not a game designer, but from, like, a larger design standpoint, I find it disappointing. Mm-hmm. Especially when I think that, like, the way to make Zelda harder has to do with the autosave feature. Um, and I think it should be that, like, what the game needs is something akin to bonfires. Like, you could only save at a shrine. You can only save... It doesn't even have to be a shrine. It could be something closer by... Or something more ubiquitous than that, but yeah, maybe or maybe just a shrine. I guess shrines are ubiquitous enough that like you're never too far. If you find them, they're just yeah. bonfires. I think that like that increases the danger of the world. 
that increases, and that's that's a Dark Souls trick in that you, the further you venture from your bonfire, literally the just like leaving the light of the bonfire behind, yeah. you are, and figuratively, the world becomes more dangerous. Yeah. Um, and that's the one thing that I think Zelda is missing, and that's what I think the hard mode should have been. But I, I think you know. that's a very, very good point because I think that the whole there's a weird thing there where in Dark Souls you are like propelled to go forward because you have nothing else mm-hmm. right like you are this hollow zombie being it's like you wake up in a jail cell and the door is open and it's just like what what else am I gonna do right whereas in Zelda it's like you are compelled to go forward because it is welcoming yeah. like like the difference is that it's like you are being forced to do it in Dark Souls and it's like it is punishing and scary out there but like if you don't go forward you're here and here you're is just terrible sitting here. Yeah. whereas in Zelda it's like here is amazing but over there is equally welcoming like it's it's a very different sort of thing and so it's like if Zelda's not about gambling on going somewhere. It's about the joy of getting somewhere. <laughs> yeah, that's a you know what I mean? well put. I yeah, I I agree. And I think all these games begin in weird little jail cells of their own. Yeah. yeah. And Neo literally begins in a jail cell, which feels like a callback to Dark Souls 1. Yeah. Like, but there you leave the jail cell because there's a story and you're supposed to escape, which is I know. I, I much prefer the Dark Souls. Like, you can just stay here if you want, yeah. but the door's open. Right. Like, you Go gotta, see what there is to see. You'll get, you're going to see that asylum demon yeah. over in the corner. Like, there's that weird hallway you walk through, and you can so just good. see the asylum demon over there. Man. And you just know, like, I hope I don't have to fight that. That seems like I'll have to fight it hours from now. Right. It's like, no, my friend, you have about five, ten minutes. Well, yeah, and, like, it's funny because... Zelda has a little bit of that. Like, I remember, like, the first time mm. I like, came over a hill and there was a guardian kind of, like, walking just, in a, like, on a plane. You're like, oh, no. <laughs> that that thing is going to wreck me. Uh, Small aside, very strange thing that happens, change that happens in hard mode. There's, what, what are those centaurs called? Uh, oh, what are they called? Um... The, the centaurs. The centaurs. You guys know. The horsemen. Yeah. There's one of those on the plateau Dude, that's over awesome. by the woodcutter shed. Oh, man. So, like, I'm, like, literally just doing anything I can to be avoid being seen by this guy. Like, cr- like, like climbing, because he has a long... They have very long they have visibility. They have long visibility. Yeah. So, I was, like, crawling on, like, the edge of the plateau just, like, to avoid being anywhere up there, just, like, trying to get to the woodcutter's cottage. Uh, I had, like, a shitty axe and, like, maybe a stick in my inventory. Um, so, like, wonderful moments like that. Also, though, like, what enemy did they... They must have just plopped him in there. there it's not like they increased... I'm pretty sure that over near there, there is not an enemy. Yeah. there's. I'm, I'm sure not, too. I think that they just threw him in there. Yeah. They also have those weird floating platforms. Yeah. Which are, like which they, are consistently To explain that better, there are platforms in the sky just around the whole world. Yeah, they're, they're actually not as high up as it makes them seem, and sometimes they are on the ground or mm. floating on water. Um, the thing, when they're floating on... So they, they're held up by the octo balloons that you can yeah. shoot, 
and pop them, and you that will knock the guys on on the platforms off. But you might also lose the treasure if it's oh. like over a body of water. Uh, it's consistently like it's kind of that adds another another dynamic for sure. Uh, one of the things that I found on the plateau was that those guys had really high level. Um, bows, like the sure. goblins that were on there. So I would just like snipe them from a distance and then grab their bow and you would go from like a level 4 to a level 12 bow. Wow. And that made a huge difference in being able to get off the plateau much faster. I'm sure. Yeah. But uh, yeah, that's just another aside. We talked enough about Zelda even though we could do this for another hour. And we will. And we will at some point in the future. So like, I, I, what have you been playing? So, okay, I came into this, uh, I've been playing Zelda, which I continue to just slowly go through because I'm in this mode that I get to with a lot of Nintendo games where I see the end and then I get a deep existential sadness and my pace of progress <laughs> slows dramatically. Would you say that you get the blues? I would say I get the blues. Uh, yeah, I've, I actually have been listening Nintendo to a lot of blues. BB King lately, but uh, I mean, are these related? You be the judge. <laughs> um, so I came into this, I was on my computer, uh, which is a Macintosh, and I uh, saw the Steam sale the other day, and there was a game on there called Hollow Knight, which is a side-scroller of the Metroidvania type. It has been compared to Dark Souls and Salt and Sanctuary and all these things with a hand-drawn, cool-looking animation. I think Hollow Knight is a great name for anything. I like it. Uh, this knight with a K. And uh, I think I liked it more without the K. I go. I can go either way on that. But yeah. I like it. Uh, I was. I was very excited to play this game. It was on sale. I said I'm going to buy this video game and I'm just going to play some of it and it's going to be fun. How much was it on sale for? If you don't mind my asking. Under ten dollars. I'm always curious about what makes people pull triggers on this kind of thing. Under ten dollars. Under ten dollars. <laughs> uh, so I think it was under ten dollars, or it might have been ten dollars. But I was, you know, it just looked cool, and I thought I haven't heard anything about this game, but it looks like it's been well re- received. It was made by like three people. It was a Kickstarter thing, and it has positive reviews. And uh, I don't know. I just kind of was drawn to it. This is not going to be about Hollow Knight. This is going to be about. This is a message for all of our fans and listeners at Valve who either need to get their shit together or stop putting Steam on the Mac because, oh my god, it is a disaster. Uh, Okay, number one, Steam, generally, on the Mac, every single Mac other than the MacBook Air right now has a Retina display. I would assume that tons of Windows PCs have extremely high-resolution displays now. Like, Steam on the Mac is this, like, it runs at, like, 640 by 480 or something. It looks like ass. It looks like doom. Like, the pixels are huge. And it just looks terrible. So it's like I have this beautiful 27-inch display. Everything is, like, super sharp and crisp. And then poking out from behind something else is Steam with its non-standard window. This is ugly puke green. And all of the pixels are enormous because it's not the right resolution. Cool. So... Immediately out of the gate, nothing about this thing says quality, right? Okay. Beyond that, I guess that Steam has some sort of, like, centralized controller mapping functionality. Uh, I don't know if that's, like, an API that the games can hook into. I have no idea. It seems like I should be able to hook up a controller and just have it go. Yeah. I have an Xbox One controller. I have synced this to my Mac. 
I can play Particle Mace with it through Steam just fine. Everything works. Great times are had by all. Except that when I tried to play other games, like when I played Firewatch, I had to reboot Firewatch like three times to get it to see the controller. Sometimes I boot Firewatch and it doesn't. Other times it does. When I googled Steam controller not connecting, the first result was in the Firewatch Reddit. (laughs) Okay, that seems like a problem. Is that Firewatch's problem? Maybe, because I never got to play Hollow Knight because it can't see the controller. Sometimes it seems to see the controller, but the controller doesn't do anything. I can't tell if this is a known issue, because it can't tell if it's Mac-specific or not, but people seem to be having trouble on Windows with this, too. The thing identifies itself as an Xbox controller. I have to imagine you could also map it as a generic USB controller. I have no idea. Either way, the game doesn't see the controller, and I spent 45 minutes looking online... Somebody's like, oh, you have to run it in big picture mode. Don't worry, big picture mode is also a low-resolution mess. So I open up big picture mode, which recognizes my controller. I'm navigating it with my controller. I will say that big picture mode, even on an Air, looks like ass. It just looks terrible. All of the Steam interface, it's like, who are these people? They're the people who made Half-Life 2. A game that I think is phenomenal. They also made Half-Life, a game that I think is incredible. And they made... Portal, a game that I think is incredible. And all of those people, I guess, are doing nothing now? They probably all left. No, they're all probably playing Dota. Yeah. Oh, God. Anyways, so the worst part about all of this is that every time you boot Hollow Knight up, it, like, shows their team splash screen. And then it has a picture of a controller and says, better with a controller. And if you want to, if you just want to feel rage like you have never felt, yeah. have a game taunt you and be like, you need to use a controller to play our game. While you are holding a controller that is working everywhere else in the system, there is no indication of why it's not working. And then everybody online says, oh, the way to make this go is to launch it out of big picture mode. Except that whenever you do that, it hard crashes. And then it says... Do you want to reopen it? You press no, and it opens it again and hard locks. (laughs) So, okay. Is this blame to be placed on the Hollow Knight people? Probably. There are three of them. They should probably have never put the game out on the Mac if it was going to be this sort of a disaster. That's fine. I'm not a real gamer. But seriously, Steam, like, the amount of money, they're putting fucking $21 million up for the International. Right? That's the prize pool the fuck? Like, Valve has enough money to get their shit together and make Steam a pleasant experience. But if you've ever been somebody who's like, well, I'm the PC master race. These console tards don't understand. Here's the problem. It is a terrible experience. Gaming on the PC is a nightmare. Nothing works properly, and it is so frustrating. And so now I have this game that I'm going to get a refund for, because Valve has no quality control and apparently does not give a shit. So, thank you, video games. In other news, so that's like what you've not been playing. You know, you I've been playing. Been I've been playing. playing I've been playing Steam, the worst video game ever. <laughs> and honestly, I think the bigger issue here is that like Steam has no competition. And like, if if somebody was, just, is it just that Dota Two has? Is that the opiate of the masses? Like, that just keeps everything from being... Like, do you think that we would have a functioning government if Dota 2 didn't? Probably. Yeah. Maybe we should thank Dota 2 for 
honestly, I feel like what needs to happen, and, like, I, I can't believe I'm about to say this, but, like, it's, like, who can actually challenge Valve, right? Who has, like, the, the clout? And the answer is Blizzard. Okay. And so it's, like, I think that if Battle.net was an open thing that was not all Blizzard and Activision games, I've always had very positive experiences using Battle.net. And so it's, like, if they wanted to... I guess it's not called Battle.net anymore... But then they released that weird statement where they were like, you can play Call of Duty on Battle.net or something yeah. immediately after retiring the Battle.net name, which is a good move because they Destiny, should never... Yeah, no, it was Destiny. Going, that's Destiny what it was. is going on Battle.net. You should never get rid of the name Battle.net. It's so awesome. I don't like it. You are a problem. <laughs> I am. I am the problem. Uh, I definitely thought you were going to say Apple should like no Apple doesn't understand video games. Yeah. Uh, it is definitely... Like, I, I just can't think of anybody else who has a, has a shot. And yeah. honestly, like Steam's monopoly is evidently very, very problematic. And you know, yes, I could play on a PC, and I'm sure it would all be great. Except that there are people throughout all of the forums saying that they're also having terrible issues. So, like, also then you would have to use a PC. Also, then I would have to use a PC. You can address your letters to Matthew Rickard. <laughs> uh, but seriously. It was so frustrating, and I I just kind of left it feeling like we're really boxed into a corner with the way that, like, digital distribution has gone, uh, and, you know, monopolies yeah. are bad. That's the lesson here. What I have been playing, though, because in the midst of this rage, I, like, looked at my Steam library and was like, what will run? <laughs> and the answer was Crypt of the Necrodancer. Oh, Fantastic game. A delightful game. Man, I love that game. I had not played that game in a a little over a year, probably, a little longer. And um, that game is terrific. I'm kind of bad at it. Like, I can't really hack the second world. Oh, I'm right there with you. (laughs) Um, But just playing through the first world again and again is always fun. Uh, So this is a rhythm game. Yes, uh, Matt is nodding along with the beat because the music is extremely distinctive. Yeah. And you, it's like a dungeon crawler, so it's like a top-down Zelda-looking thing, but the game is timed to music, and I actually saw a thing with the developer where he was making something turn-based, and then at a certain point he realized, he put a timer on the turns, and then he realized if you make the timer for turns really short, it turns into a rhythm game. It's very true. Uh, yeah. Which is actually a very... Of it that way. I mean, this goes into something we should talk about some other time, which is I have a larger unified theory of all, all good games are rhythm games, but we can talk about that mm. at some other point. Um, the unified theory of, of rhythm gaming? Of, of all games being rhythm games. Like, yeah. if your game is good, it is a rhythm game. But uh, we can talk about that some other time. What yeah, explain, explain what Crypt of the Necrodancer is. I mean, you already have a little bit. Well, it's bit. a top-down thing, yeah. and then you move... So the whole world is a grid, right? And your character is one square. And all the enemies, at any given point, take up a certain number of squares. And they move in a pattern on those squares. Or with certain behavior that's dictated by the squares. And everything moves in time with the music. And so, as you move, you have the four directional keys... And you just have to hit them in certain directions in time with the music. And you move uh, throughout the world along with the beat. And there are things that modify the pace of the music. There are things that change, uh, you know, um, 
like the way that you move so you can jump on platforms that will move you more than one block. But at any given point, your options are to move a block, and then you get items, uh, which are, like, if you move, quote-unquote, into an enemy, you will, like, slash them with a sword. You can pick up other items, and you can, um, by hitting combinations of the directional keys, cast spells, or use items like healing things, or fireballs, all that sort of stuff. It's a dungeon crawler, it looks all medieval, you fight skeletons. Is it randomly generated? It is, and it's a totally a roguelike. Like, yeah. It, the, oh, yeah, okay. the, the hook is purely that it's uh, rhythm-based and that it feels awesome and the music is just terrific. Um, the other thing that I love about it, and the only reason that I'm really talking about it, because, I mean, this game is old, relatively. Um, I love this game because you are, uh, it is a female protagonist, and she's... Default, right? Yes. You and just, it's automatic. There's no man. You are just this cool girl. Yeah. Uh, and it really doesn't, like, I don't, maybe there's a story to this game that I've just never looked at. I don't know. You're just a girl wandering through a dungeon and nothing is made of it. And that's just so refreshing and nice. And it's not like, it's like, it's, you know, the, the annoying thing about it is that it stands out because it's so rare that you go like, whoa, there's a lady in this game. But it's funny do I have to be a lady? Yeah, it's I great. Yes, I do. I think you can pick other characters, but I have no reason They're to. They're later, yeah. Uh, because yeah. she's cool, and I just... I think it's fantastic that uh, there's a game like this, and I hope that there will be many more games like this, where it's just like... The default person is a girl, and there's nothing special about that. And in this case, literally a girl, right? Isn't it? Uh, I, I, mean, I think she's supposed to be because maybe I made this up, but I think that there's a vague narrative insofar as she's looking for her father. I think that it might be the case. There's yeah. some like opening cinematic that I watched once and then yeah. never again. I think it's just like a series of like storybook images. Yep, yep. Yeah. Uh, but you know, it's funny because you realize it's just like we live in a world where you would expect that 50% of media would be female-fronted. Uh, that is not the case. I don't know if you've, if you've checked in lately with society. Um, but, like, that's not the way things are. And it feels like whenever something is, it's, like, blown out into this statement thing. Or it's, like, something that is originally played for sex appeal, like Laura Croft, that is now, like, and now we're taking it back, which is just as bad. And so it's just cool. I don't think that it's, I don't think that it's, it's a negative to have it be a statement. I don't think it's, I don't think it's a negative to have it be a statement. And I think by doing it in the current climate, it's inherently a statement. Yeah. But I think that it's just like, I need, I need, and I think that the world needs more things that are just happy to be themselves in this way. Yeah. Uh, the game is more than any other game, a game that is happy to be itself. Yes. I would agree. I think uh, the, the game is, is very joyful. I would also <laughs> say that I thought it was going to be much more complicated than it actually was. It is not super complicated. It's very easy to just get into it. But then as it kind of uh, it, stacks, yes, it there's these moments where you start to realize like there are multiple enemies in a room and they're moving on their patterns and you know their patterns and you know what your weapon spread is and it's a very strange thing where it starts off and you're just like I'm just moving along with the beat and then at a certain point 
you'll do these like combinations of moves where you're like forward, back, left, left, right, right, up, up, and then like left and right together, and you realize that you're just playing like a DDR routine that is being generated on the fly by virtue of where you are in relation to the enemies, mm-hmm. and somebody should probably play this game with a dance pad. I'm not coordinated enough for that, but I'll bet you it would be great. Um, because you totally could. Uh, did, it, did they still make dance pads? I mean, I have to imagine those things are going on eBay for like 10 bucks. Yeah, but like, can you hook one up to your computer? They certainly don't there's, make dance there, there's pads. There's got to be USB connectors. Yeah, I suppose. And I hope it, hopefully it would recognize it. Yeah, I mean. Steam won't. Maybe it will. I don't know. Uh, Steam won't. Dead side. <laughs> Nintendo um, what Steam don't. Uh, okay, cool. So, uh, ne- Crypt of the Necrodancer. Fantastic. A hot current title. Yeah, several years old, but also regularly on sale on Steam for like two ninety nine, or also on the PlayStation Store. I almost bought it on the yeah. PlayStation Store because it's very cheap there too. They, it's on. It's one of those games that's on sale a lot. So check it out. Listeners. Check it out. It's a. The only thing that I would caution you um, is that it is a rhythm game, and current LCD TVs. I mean, this was a problem with Guitar Hero and all these games have latency that gets introduced. Um, so... Do you not have that issue with your monitor? Uh, I You still can calibrate. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't experience anything with it. I left it on the defaults and it was great. Um, but you want to make sure there's an option in the menu to calibrate it. So if you get that game, calibrate the latency if you're playing it on a console. Um, because it will probably act weird otherwise. Good advice. Pro tips. Cool. Any other games that you've been playing? Uh, I played some Loft Rousers, but... Oh, I haven't played that in a while. It's good. You play it on the computer, right? Yeah. Yeah. I was playing that on the PS3. Yeah. I find it's better with the keyboard than with the controller. I think this is how you and I often differ on these things. Yeah. Um, I was born with a controller in my hand. You, a keyboard and mouse. <laughs> yes, it's Both true. our mothers suffered for this. <laughs> and continue to. Yes. Um, cool. Well, as we wind up the show, did you have... I think you had a little a little idea, a little conceit that you yeah, wanted Yeah, well, I was explore. thinking, you know, we talk a lot about video games here on this podcast, about and video games. the blues. And the blues. Um... But I think that we should also acknowledge that our opinions about video games are very informed by other things that we like. And so um, I figured that every week we experience a lot of cool stuff, and we should probably share one of those things with everyone out there so that they can get a better sense of who we are as people and our taste in games. So I like this. What's a cool thing you found this week? Doesn't matter when it's from. Um, man. I keep thinking of things in terms of comparisons. No, no, just generally. No, I know, but, like, I'm trying to think of, like, how to talk about one thing without talking about Hmm. two things. Um, But I will say, I watched, last night I watched the film Anomalisa, Charlie Kaufman's movie. I wanted to see that. The stop-motion kind of puppets. Um, Yeah, check it out. I would encourage everyone to check it out. It is relatively short. It's only about, like, an hour and 20 minutes or so. Hard to make puppets. It is hard to make puppets do all that. And apparently, like, because of the fidelity of certain scenes requiring, like, a certain level of, for lack of a better word, tenderness, 
I would say that, like, it seems like they spent a lot of time probably doing a lot of different takes. Uh-huh. I bet that they did, like, multiple takes of certain scenes, which, of course, can take... it When a single scene can take so long, mm-hmm. you know, I, I imagine that this was clearly a labor of love. I'm not 100% sure that it needed to be a made with stop-motion puppets. Interesting. And it, it doesn't quite do everything that I had wanted it to do, but, like, I don't know. Who am I? I'm not I'm not a stop... i by no means, like, a stop-motion animator. Um, nor am, am I Charlie Kaufman, necessarily. It had its starts... This is The one thing that I knew about this was that it was um, in, like, the 2000s, it was... Uh, done is like a sound play like it's almost like a radio play oh, but done weird. in person so this the script has been around for a long time um and he had done it a long time ago uh with the same cast it's david thewlis uh, uh jennifer jason lee and tom noonan um so it's it's very good it's very good it's very interesting it's very charlie kaufman insofar as that it is like alternatively like funny and extremely existentially disturbing. <laughs> like, I love Synecdoche. Is that, I don't even know if that's how you pronounce I believe it. Synecdoche, New York. that's how you say it. Yeah. I, I love that movie. Um, I can only watch it once every so often because it is a brutally upsetting yes, film. Yes, that is exactly how not, I feel about it. Yeah, not necessarily because of the things that happen in it, but because of, like... And the, because of those. <laughs> and because of those, but also just, like, the level of... And the depiction of, like, depression and anxiety is uniquely not, it's not, I don't feel as though, like, ah, yes, I, too, understand these feelings. I'm more like, this is causing these feelings Mm -hmm. in me. So I'm both, like, in awe and also kind of, like, having those emotions recreated, which maybe is one, you know, that gets into the question of art. Um, Anomalisa is, is, is very interesting. I don't think it's nearly as successful um, as Synecdoche, New York, um, there are a few moments. There's one moment that made me laugh very loudly alone in my apartment. Um, I don't even think it was meant to be much of a joke. It's just like he's signing in at the hotel and like the, 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 um, desk dude is like typing and just like looking at him. (laughs) And it is fantastic. There are a few low key conceits of this film that are apparent within minutes of watching it. Other than the fact that it's all puppets that I actually don't want to spoil here. Um, just because on the off chance that you don't know about it, it is a fantastic, like, there are, like, a few, like, brilliant things that carry throughout the film, um, like, that are just, like, surreal and really excellent and actually have to do with the overall themes of the film. Cool. Um, that I think are really cool. Maybe, I think this would have been much better if it were, like, maybe half an hour shorter. Uh, but powerful, interesting not as good as pretty much anything else that Charlie Kaufman has done other than maybe like human nature. I was just going to say yeah. human nature. Yeah. That's, that's always other the than human nature. Uh, yeah, but like I ch- check that out. Maybe if you like puppets, that sounds great. And I, I have been meaning to see it. There's dicks in it too, which I really respect. I've heard there's some, uh, some puppet puppet penises. <laughs> it's, I mean, this is the first thing that every, every time there's a movie about puppets, everyone asks like, but do they fuck? Yeah. And in this case, like, yeah, there's some, some 
puppet tree. It just puppet the tree. back of the yeah. box just says the answer is yes. Yes, they, <laughs> we made the puppet. We know your question, and we are answering it here. It is, uh, yeah, and I mean, like, I think. Actually, I was sort of impressed with, like, it's... There's a fantastic scene where, like, the main character, played by David Thewlis, is is in the shower, and he's just, like, cannot get the shower temperature right. It's either too hot or too cold. An experience that, like, I think everyone has, either with their apartment or in hotels, especially, where you are unfamiliar. Yeah. And it is just... It's just delightful. And so it's a lot of that kind of thing. That's that sounds very, great. Yeah, very Charlie Kaufman combined with, like, a level of existential dread that is uncomfortable and maybe feels a little, not self-indulgent, but uniquely upper-middle-class white male. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Um, Although terrifying, nonetheless. Oh, no doubt. Yeah. Uh, my thing is, is uh, it is a record, it is an album. Uh, is it the blues? It is not the blues. Oh, okay. It is by... Um, an artist called Juana Molina and I believe she's Argentinian she is like Argentine Argen- she's an Argentine it's just Argentine I think is really the word. yeah I've oh. been corrected on that too many times I had no idea so anyways I believe she is from Argentina I could be wrong on that um, but she is like in her 50s now hmm. but this is a record that she put out uh, a couple years ago maybe three years ago I think she has a newer record but the one that I just got is called Wed 21. Um, and is it two words? Yes, yeah, so that's W E D space numeral two, numeral one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she is like, I don't know, iTunes identifies it as alternative. Um, it's extremely modern, I hesitate to say rock. You know what it sounds like is like uh, in Rainbow's era Radiohead. Oh, um, okay. It is really awesome, and it's a lot of she plays the guitar and like synths, so it's like it's a lot of like clean electric guitar that does that like like that kind of like. Is it melodic? Yes, extremely. But it's also very textural. Which is yes, a, uh, Johnny Greenwood. Yes, way. it's very Johnny Greenwood guitar work, and she's very into looping. Like, I would imagine that she could play most of these things by herself, because it will be that, like, she establishes a guitar phrase, and then it loops, and then she sings over it, and then there will be, like, these really, like, thick synth, like, underneath it. Great. Uh, And a lot of the singing is in Spanish. Um, Personally, I, I work as a web developer. I like to listen to music while I work. Most of the time, that's nonverbal music, uh, like Aphex Twin kind of stuff. Um, because I've, I have somebody t- saying words, I find it really difficult to focus. Um, I relate to that. Yeah. And so the one kind of music I can listen to when I'm working is I can listen to music where people sing in other languages. So this, there's enough of it that is not in English that it kind of can be a nice low level thing that just kind of is pleasant to be in. But if I focus on it, it's also extremely engaging. Um, so it's a great record. The single and the way to know whether or not you'll like this is also the first song on the album, which is called Eras, and uh, it's just a really slick album. Like, I kind of can't believe that it didn't get more play, and I wonder if it's because she's old, Mm. and also she sings in Spanish. (laughs) Uh, Is it it fuzzed? Are the vocals fuzzy at all? No, uh, not really. Like... 
Parts of it are very cat power-ish, too. Okay. I mean, I like all these things. It's I love good. a good guitar loop. Like, yes. when you know that it's just one person playing and they are just looping. Well, there's a... And it's a lot of that. And it's yeah, a lot of, that. like, uh, looped guitar, and then she comes in with, like, another guitar piece over it. Yeah. Um, oh, I love... That's... Looped, I'm, you convinced me to check this looped out. Looped vocals. It's really terrific. Yeah. All right. I think that's a podcast. Sounds like it. Well, thank you for listening. This has been Zero Stars, 0.2. Thanks, guys. We'll talk. See you next time. (laughs) We'll talk and see you then. Bye.